0: So Exodus three, <clears throat> going to to four seventeen. So, get comfortable. Now Moses was tending the flock in of Jericho. <coughs> sorry, Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. i am i am has sent me to you god also said to moses say to the israelites the lord the god of your fathers the god of abraham the god of isaac and the god of jacob has sent me to you this is my name forever the name the name by which i am to be remembered from generation to generation go assemble the elders of israel and say to them the lord the god of your fathers the god of abraham Isaac and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have and seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of the misery in Egypt and into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Perizzites sorry, Hivites and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave you will not go empty-handed every woman is to ask her neighbor and any wo- woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold gold and clothing which you will put on your sons and daughters and so you will plunder the egyptians moses answered what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the lord did not the lord did not appear to you then the lord said to him what is that What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, "Put your hand inside your cloak." So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it, it was it was leprous like snow. Now put it back in your cloak," he said. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, "If you do not, be- sorry, if they do not believe you or pay attention." To the first miraculous sign they may believe the second but if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you take some water from the Nile and pour it onto the dry ground the water you take from the river will become blood on the ground Moses said to the Lord "O Lord I have never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant I am slow of speech and tongue the Lord said to him who gave this man his mouth who made, makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, O oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if, you're God, as if you were God to him. But take this stuff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. Um, let's bow in prayer shall we? Father, we
1: want to thank you for today, and we just thank you for your word that it speaks so clearly to us of uh, who you are and, and, and your character and uh, your saving work. Father, we pray for ourselves, we pray for the children that um, we would be nourished by your word and that by your spirit that uh, we would be people who um, less trusting in ourselves and more trusting in you as the one who alone is our strength. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Mm. Uh, It doesn't really matter who you are. Uh, What matters most is who you serve. Uh, This week, Kevin Vickers, the Sergeant at Arms in the Canadian Parliament, looked, I thought, decidedly uncomfortable uh, receiving a standing ovation as he uh, entered the Parliament chamber carrying the mace uh, at the commencement of the day. Uh, The day before, he had killed a man in defense of the Parliament. Now, I don't know about you, but I always assumed that sergeant-at-arms was kind of like a ceremonial role. Had you thought that as well? I didn't know that uh, he actually was a sergeant with arms. Uh, But a a quick uh, check of uh, Kevin Vickers' uh, CV tells a different story to that, with 30 years in the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, uh, serving uh, for part of that time as chief superintendent He indeed uh, is a man who has devoted his life to serving, uh, to serving his nation. Uh, Applauded as a hero, uh, but written on his face was the uncomfortableness of someone who would say, I was just doing my job. That's what I do. Uh, He was able to step up to the plate when it counted uh, because of the diligence because of the discipline and the skill which he had developed over decades. And I understand it was the only time in his life that he's actually ever exchanged gunfire. How about that? He had reason because of his skill and the the, the practice and the diligence. He had reason to be confident in himself. But when we're serving someone who is actually more powerful than we are, our confidence comes not from ourselves but our confidence comes from the one whom we serve, the one whom we represent. Now this was a lesson which Moses had to learn and it's a lesson which uh, from time to time we need to be refreshed in ourselves. So I want you to think back to last week Uh, where we saw that as a prince of Egypt, that uh, Moses was now living as an exile in the land of Midian uh, to where he had fled in fear of his very life. Uh, Forty years have passed, and now as a man of age 80, his peaceful rural existence was about to be shattered. In Exodus chapter 3, and uh, thanks, Steve, for that reading. Uh, we did settle into that reading. Uh, it was a, a long reading. But in Exodus chapter 3, Moses, we're told, was tending some of his father-in-law, Jethro's sheep. And he was doing so in a place which was described in the text as being the far side of the desert. I don't know. How would you say that in Australian lingo? Beyond the black stump. Uh, you know, he was, he was gone out. He was out in whoop-whoop. Uh, he was a long way from home uh, near a mountain, a mountain called Mount Horeb. Now, I understand there's a Mount Horeb near Tumut. Is that right? But uh, we're not talking about that Mount Horeb. We're talking about Mount Horeb, which is otherwise known as Mount Sinai. He was at, at uh, Mount Horeb when in the distance he saw a single bush and it was on fire unusual sight. But as Moses studied the bush more carefully, he realized that although it was on fire, it was actually not burning up. In the middle of nowhere, this was God's way of catching his attention. Because when Moses went to investigate, God appeared to Moses and he did so in the form of an angel in the fire. Now, we don't know uh, what moses knew about god remember he's been a long uh, he was brought up in the court of pharaoh even though he's a hebrew he was caught brought up in the court of pharaoh and he's been a long time uh, in midian where his father-in-law was some kind of a priest so we don't know what he knew about uh, about god uh, but god introduces him in two different ways first of all in verse five god places some degree of distance between himself and Moses. Because as Moses comes towards the the burning bush, uh, God says, look, you've come far enough, Uh, stop, Uh, take your sandals off because you're actually standing on holy ground. And so there is a distance between uh, God and Moses. But secondly, having established that distance, God also wants to connect with a degree of intimacy with Moses because he introduces himself to Moses as the God of his ancestors, the God of his father, the God of, uh, of, uh, of Jacob, uh, the God of Isaac, and the God of Abraham. Now, at that point, you and I should be thinking, ah, Abraham promises, promises of people, of land, and of blessing, and so on. Now, Moses... He's been away from his people for 40 years but now he is confronted with a reality. He's confronted with the reality that his people are still living in slavery in Egypt. And so in verses 7 through to 10, God informs Moses of several things. He says, first of all, I've seen their misery. He says, I've heard their cry. And he says, I've now come to rescue them. Bottom line, God would now send Moses to go back to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt because soon they would settle in the promised land. Now, um, spare a thought for Moses at this point, uh, would you? Um, try putting yourself in Moses's sandals. Uh what God is proposing here doesn't exactly fit with Moses' retirement plans. (laughs) And so he raises a few objections. In fact, he raises a whole list of of objections. And first of all, he says, well, who am I? I mean, I'm a nobody. I'm a shepherd. I live in Midian. Uh, How could I possibly... Take on the great pharaoh of Egypt and win. Who am I? And God's answer? Don't worry about that, Moses, because I will go with you. Now, you know how it works, don't you? You know, one man plus God equals victory. (laughs) But this is a lesson which Moses needs to learn. In fact, um, in verse 12, God says to Moses that one day... Uh, you will know that it was was me who's done this work of bringing the people out, not you, because one day the whole nation of Israel will be be, be at this mountain. And remember, this is Mount Horeb slash Mount Sinai, and here the whole nation will be worshipping me, and when that happens, when that prophecy is fulfilled, you will know that it is me that has brought them out. So note that prophecy. Now, what we see here is that it doesn't really matter who Moses is because what matters is who God is. Take a look at verse 13. In verse 13, Moses continues his objections and he says to God, Well, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? In other words, who are you? Fair enough. I mean, Moses fronts up to the Israelites and says, God sent me. I think they might want a bit more detail before they decide to down tools and start up a revolt against Pharaoh. But God's answer is simple and yet profound. He says two things. Firstly, in verse 14, he says, well, tell them I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent me to you. Secondly, in verse 15, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, has sent me to you. Now, notice that the word Lord is all in capital letters. Did you see that? Why would that be so? It's not. We don't normally write words that way, do we? It's all in capital letters. Let me explain why. The word which is translated "Lord" in capitals uh, in the original Hebrew is uh, spelt with the equivalent of the English letters uh, Y H W H Uh, and. One of the issues with ancient Hebrew is that the written language did not use any vowels, only consonants. I mean, they used vowels when they spoke, obviously, but not in their written script. Uh, and I guess the reason for that was that they, they knew the words so well through, uh, through speech and through, and through listening that uh, when they saw the word written without vowels, that they knew intuitively which vowels to insert into the word. It's a bit like, um, we don't read the telephone directory at our house, We throw, we've, I've thrown, thrown them all out, because we just get on the internet. I, the internet went down the other day and I needed a phone number, I couldn't find a directory. I was informed, well, Dad, that's because you chucked it out. But you know, you, when you think about those telephone directories, when they give you know, the the name of the town or the suburb. It's abbreviated, isn't it? They don't actually have the the vowels in there. But you look at it and you go, yep, I know that. And I guess that's what it was like, um, that they would know the word so well, they could just look at it written without the vowels and they knew what the word was. Uh, Problem was that over over time, The Israelites considered God's name to be so holy that they would actually never say it out aloud. They would say other words instead of the one which he had given here. And uh, over time, that meant that um, the knowledge of which vows to insert into this world, into this word, actually faded away. So in the end, we don't know how to say it. Now the scholars tell us that most likely the vowels, the equivalent vowels of A and E should be inserted forming the word Yahweh. You've heard that word before? Okay. Um, They used to think that the vowels E, O and A should be inserted uh, forming the the word Yehovah or Jehovah as some say, but uh, not not presently, the modern scholarship doesn't doesn't think that. But the, 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 um, the, the issue here is that because of this uncertainty, the Bible translators just use the word L-O-R-D, all in capitals, uh, to represent uh, this, this word, which is the name of God. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses get all hung up about it. Uh, they think that you've got to use the word Jehovah, even though that's probably wrong. But the key issue is what does it actually mean and these four letters y-h-w-h they're a noun which come from the verb which means to be or to happen or to become so god by naming himself it's by naming himself i am uh, god is saying that his very name displays his very nature who he is, and his nature would be known by his presence amongst his people and the way that he acts on their behalf. Now, in the Bible, sometimes people had their names changed, didn't they, um, in order to reflect some aspect of their character. An example of that would be Simon, who became Peter or Petros, means rock. Uh, but you can't you can't do that to God. You can't give God a name which expresses His Character, because there's, because his character is so big, there is nothing that you can compare God to, that no one word would aptly describe his character. You can't narrow narrow it down like that for God, and so I am who I am. Uh, you will know who I am when you see what I'm like and what I do. I am who I am, tell them I am, has sent you. And so then in verses 16 through to 21, God spells out his rescue plan. Uh, Moses and the elders of Israel were going to go to Pharaoh and they were going to ask Pharaoh for permission for the Israelites to go out into the wilderness for a three-day trek to uh, perform some sacrifices. That's interesting, isn't it? Given that we know it was a permanent exodus. And pharaoh's going to say no Um, god would strike the egyptians and then pharaoh would let them go and they would leave egypt with plenty of gold silver and clothes they would plunder the egyptians now there you go we've just finished the book of exodus because that is exactly how it all played out but the point here is that it doesn't really matter who moses is Uh, he is an exiled 80 year old shepherd but that doesn't matter In fact, it's even better because what really does matter uh, is who Moses serves, who God is. Now, that's a truth which we too need to learn. And it's a double-edged sword because sometimes we can be too confident in ourselves, even in our service of God. And when we are trusting too much in ourselves, uh, God has a habit of allowing difficult things into our lives um, God has a habit of uh, allowing failure to happen to us so that we can be stripped of that pride and he does that uh, because he loves us because as the author to the Hebrews says that he's treating us like a father with his children he disciplines us because he wants us to, to learn not to trust in our own strength not to trust in who we are but to trust in who he is and his strength it's a bit like when Paul prayed to God and said you know these thorns the thorn in my side please take it away and God said no 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 you have got to learn that my grace is sufficient for you I think we sang a song about that didn't we right? and it's then and only then when we are not Trusting in ourselves, but we're trusting in the God who is so great that no one word can describe his character, that he is I am, that we actually become useful and effective in the service of God. Now, on the other hand, sometimes we, uh, as we rightly lack confidence in ourselves, we can go the other way and ends up that we don't serve God in ways that we should because we're a bit like Moses. And it's then like Moses that we need to remember who it is that we are actually serving. Uh, We're serving the one who's so great that there is no one quality that can sum up his character. He is God. God is who God is. And we need to trust in him. Now, Moses is not finished with his objecting at this point. Um, In chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says, Okay, so what if I turn up to the Israelites and tell them all of this and they, they don't believe me? You know, what if they think I'm crazy? What if they think that, you know, he's been out in the desert in Midian for too long? What then? And So God actually gave Moses some of his... He gave God, Moses, some miraculous abilities in order that he can demonstrate to people that that God is, is with him. First of all, and you see this in chapter 4, verse 2, God tells Moses, he says, what, what's, that, what's that thing you're carrying? As if God wouldn't know. And he says, well, it's my shepherd's staff. And God says, well, drop it on the ground. And he drops it on the ground. And the instant it hits the ground, the thing turns into a snake. Well, Moses got the fright of his life. <laughs> Suddenly, there's a whopping great snake at his feet. What does it say that he, da- that he did? It says in the passage that he ran. I reckon I'd run as well. And then, worse than that, God says to him, Well, no, no I want you to grab hold of the snake by its tail. And you imagine Moses is kind of like, you know, stretching out like this, trying to grab hold of it. The- and as soon as he does it, it turns back into his shepherd's staff. And secondly, God says, uh, "Show me your hand." Looks at his hand, and God says, uh, "Well, stick it into your cloak." Sticks it into his cloak. God says, "Pull it out." He pulls it out. And he looks at him. He's a leper. I mean, as if the snake wasn't bad enough, and he's now got leprosy. And God says, "Well, stick it back into your cloak." He sticks it back into his cloak. Pulls it out. Leprosy's gone. Now, God says to him, Look, you know, if they don't believe these two miraculous signs, then take them down the Nile River, draw some water out of the Nile, pour it on the ground, and watch what happens as it turns into blood. And so, God is giving him these things uh, in order to show to the people that he's not making all of this up. But there is genuine power. Now, Moses is starting to run out of objections, or should I say excuses. Uh, in verses 10 through to 12, he just says to God, look, you've got the wrong person here. I, I, you know, I can't speak. How can I turn up to the Israelites and persuade them? How can I go to Pharaoh and talk to him? I've got problems with speaking. Now, that might have been true. We don't know. I mean, uh, it's been a long time since he's spoken Egyptian or Hebrew. Uh, But have a look at God's answer. And I don't think I can do any better than to just read what God says in verses 11 and 12 uh, of uh, chapter 4. In verse 11, uh, the Lord said to him, Well, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Then bottom line in verse 13, Moses says, look, would you mind just sending someone else? <laughs> now if he would started at that point, uh, we would have made a bit quicker progress, I guess. And that doesn't go down all that well with God, but in God's mercy, God uh, allows for his fears and trepidations and says, well, how about I send your brother Aaron to go along with you? That's an interesting uh, thought because he wouldn't have seen Aaron for a very, very long time. It's a bit like Jacob and Esau in a sense. And uh, God says that Aaron's actually making his way to you. So God's actually got this, this all planned out in any case. But how about I send your brother Aaron to go with you and you can tell him what to say and he can say it. I'll give you both the ability to speak, but you know, take him along. These are merciful words which seem to settle Moses to the point where he's willing to obey. Now Jesus uh, once told some religious leaders that anyone who keeps his word Would never see death. That was a provocative statement for Jesus to make, uh, to which they responded, Well, who do you think you are? I mean, uh, even Abraham died. Are you greater than Abraham? And it was in that setting that Jesus declared to them, and he said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, at that point, the religious leaders picked up some rocks and they attempted to stone Jesus to death. Why? Why did they do that? Well, I think it's because they understood the burning bush. Who shall I say has sent me, says Moses. Tell them I am has sent you, says the Lord. Jesus is declaring himself to be God. The God who is so great that his name is simply I am. The God who gives freedom and life as Jesus died for sins and rose for us again. The God who has poured out his spirit that we might be united with him in Christ. United with God. United with the one who is so holy that Moses had to take off his sandals on holy ground. United with the one who is simply I am. If we are in Christ, then that is our status. You see, it doesn't really matter who you are, does it? Rich or poor, uh, famous or unknown, Hugely talented or just plain ordinary, uh, a great speaker or having difficulty stringing words together, doesn't matter who you are, what matters is who you serve. And it's true that God often chooses the most ordinary people to do great things uh, for his kingdom. He chooses the most ordinary people to be bold and to speak, to perhaps speak a word about Jesus to a non-Christian which actually transforms that person's life and brings them out of hell and into heaven. He uses ordinary people to, uh, to pray for missionaries and in so doing to actually impact the kingdom of God in far-flung places like China and the Middle East and around the world. He uses ordinary people to just say to someone, well, how about we get together and read the Bible Uh, for an hour or so every week? And in so doing, to actually set that person on a uh, a course which ends up being a a lifetime in Christian ministry. God is powerful. God is powerful. He uses the most ordinary people to sometimes give up their worldly securities and go to the mission field themselves. Ordinary people, but serving an extraordinary God who is powerful to do what he does and that is fulfill his promises that he's given to us in Jesus we've been looking for a scripture teacher for uh, one of our schools and uh, struggling to find the appropriate person. Uh, someone just spoke to me, a person in, uh, an elderly person and said, I'm gonna do it. I can teach that class. I'll do it. And I want him to do it because he's a good guy. And I said to him, he said, I've never done it with that year group before. I said, the Lord will give you strength because you know who it is you're serving. Just be faithful to his word. Love the kids. Teach them well. And you know what? You'll have a great impact in their lives. The Apostle Paul once said, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. He didn't have tickets on himself. He'd actually said, I've learned the secret of contentment, whether I'm in poverty or whether I'm in riches. I've learned the secret of contentment. contentment. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength because you know what? It doesn't really matter who we are. What matters is whom we serve. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for, uh, for your revelation of yourself to us through these passages of scripture Uh, you indeed are God alone God who is beyond comparison God who cannot be described aptly uh, by single words you are indeed uh, the God who is you you are who you are you are unique you are holy you are all-powerful and you love us so much Father, we pray for ourselves that uh, we would be people who have confidence in you and boldness, therefore, to step out in faith and to do great things for you. Father, strip us of all pride. Strip us of arrogance. Strip us of that which says, I can do it because of who I am. And help us to know that it is only because of who you are. We pray that you would use us for great things in your kingdom. In Jesus' name. I mean